Deanne mentioned uh, the Wednesday night Bible study that we're, we're having, <clears throat> and I, I just want to, this morning I just want to mention um, just how special that Wednesday night Bible study has become to me. It's actually become one of the highlights of my week. I think mainly because, um, well, we're starting to get kind of transparent in that group, the group that's meeting on Wednesday nights. Right now we're doing a Bible study called Uniquely You, and we're walking through the process of discovering personality traits. And and what we're really trying to discover is how God has created us all uniquely and how um, how He plans to use us in our lives. Maybe we all haven't become transparent, but I feel like I've been able to be somewhat transparent with all of you about some of the personality traits that I have, that um, things that I've had to overcome, things that I've had to teach myself um, to be more outgoing, and, and, and things like that. And Well, it's just a special time. Today, the sermon, we get to continue looking at the Shema, the passage of scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And today we're looking at the commandment that God gives His people to love God. The commandment that God gives His people to love God. I bring up the Wednesday night Bible study because I mentioned some of the personality and the characteristics that we have as individuals that we have to overcome in order to be effective Christians, to be effective people in general. We have to overcome something within us to obey this commandment. Loving God does not come naturally to us. As we look at verse 5 today, we ask the question, what does it mean to love God? I want us to think that just like, or think about that even like our personalities, the insecurities that we have, the things that we have to actively work against and keep watch over, loving God does not come naturally to us. The Bible is clear that every man, woman, and child is born a sinner. That sin darkens our perspective and makes it so that we are unable to love God the way He commands us to do. But still, we are commanded to love God. It's really a remarkable feat. I don't have much to say as way of an introduction, so I think we can go ahead and dive right into the Word this morning. But before we do that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning that we might be able to see the truths found in your law. God, I pray that we would be able to uncover these truths and understand them, that you would aid us in in that effort. God, I pray that you would make us receptive of the truths that you have for us. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Again, this morning, we're only looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. But to look at that full context, we'll be reading, again, the same passage that we read last week, all the way from verse 4 through verse 9. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd ask you to turn there with me so that you can follow along as I read out loud. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We've mentioned before, we've called this the Shema, and and we've mentioned that even Jesus refers to this particular passage when asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? Jesus responds, the greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Referencing specifically the text that we are studying this morning. We call this the great commandment. Jesus explains later that this commandment encompasses the whole of the law. Just thinking about the Ten Commandments, we know that loving God, if we could only obey this one commandment, half of the Ten Commandments would be taken care of. We wouldn't have any obstacles with um, having gods before the one true living God, having a graven image or an idol, We wouldn't have any issue keeping the Sabbath day holy. We wouldn't have any issue not taking the Lord's name in vain. If only we could obey this one commandment that we love God. Last week, we unpacked specifically how this passage uncovers how it prevents or leads us away from idolatry in our lives the things that we make idols of, the things that we desire that really have no place. This week, I want to look at the rest of it. I want to look at taking the Lord's name in vain, and I want to look at keeping the Sabbath day holy, because this first half of the commandment rolls up into this one commandment, that we would love God. That's not my teaching. That's not my wisdom. This is what Jesus taught. And we're going back to the context today. How do we love God? I said that this doesn't come naturally to us. I don't know if anyone wants to argue with me, but now's not the time. Loving God does not come naturally to us. The problem of sin born into every person in this world is that our minds do not know how to love God. In fact, we're incapable of even understanding how to love, even understanding what love is without God. The word love used in our passage today comes from the Hebrew word ahav, which literally translates to breathing after, to desiring God. The picture that we're looking at to love God is to desire Him, to breathe after Him and to seek Him, to want Him. And this doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to us because as a sinner, there's other things that we want. There's other things that we have to fight against. 
And the reality is, is without God, we're incapable of addressing sin in our life. Because what we end up doing is we try to fill an emptiness that is born into us, a death that is wrought within us as a consequence of sin, and we try to fill it with other things. Perhaps the idols we talked about last week, success in our careers, maybe intellectual accomplishments, maybe athletics, maybe the list could go on. We try to fill an emptiness within us that can only be filled with life that comes from God. If we look at Romans 1, it's clear that the pattern of human history is that those people who are faced with confronting their sin run away from God so that they don't have to deal with the... They don't have to deal with their conscious guilt. Even people that don't know God are aware of this. How are we supposed to love God? The pattern that Moses gives us is that the only way it's possible for us to love God, first of all, is to know God. The only way to know God is to see what loving God looks like. This picture is of the family that parents would demonstrate for their children what it means to love God. That children would see their parents and that they would know what loving God looks like, what desiring God looks like, and that they would seek after Him and that they would have the same conviction about them. We have to maintain the appropriate perspective of who God is. The reality is the correct response, the correct um, perspective of who God is, is knowing that God himself is love. Not that love defines God, but that God defines love. Let's take a side trip this morning. If you would, turn to the back of the Bible, to the letter of 1 John. I want to look at 1 John chapter 4, and I want to look at verses 7 through 10. If you turn there this morning, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him in this love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You don't have to be a rocket science scientist to be able to understand that to understand love, in fact, to love at all, a person must first know God. A person who does not know God is completely incapable of being able to love not only other people, but also being able to love God. This first commandment, which Jesus says was the greatest commandment of all, 
hinges on a person's ability to know God. I bring up this passage in 1 John for a couple of reasons this morning. First of all, because without understanding that truth, it will be impossible for us to understand what we are being asked to do in this commandment. We use Scripture to understand other Scripture because this fact is true. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. You will find no contradictions. In fact, by pulling from Scripture, to understand Scripture, we are able to illuminate more meaning and understand it more clearly. We're able to clarify that this commandment to love God is not going to be achieved by our own grit or determination or self-control, but it completely hinges on our ability to love and know God. Whoever loves, as John writes, has been born of God and knows God. A person who is unable to love does not know God. And I want to be clear this morning that we're talking about the love that the Bible is describing. This isn't a love that we can muster up or um, it's not the love that you read about on Pinterest post, people. The love of God is something much more than that. Love in our lives comes from God. It's because God first loved us that we're able to love at all. I mentioned this morning that as a consequence of sin, even though God has clearly made evident in the world that he is the creator of all things, that he's born into every person a conscious mind that convicts them and even makes them feel guilty without knowing God of their own sin. Even with that, it is not possible to love God without him. I feel like I was unclear when I said that. The problem with sin is that we run away, that we hide, that we keep our sins secret out of shame, that we don't ask for help when we need help, that we don't lean on people who we know can support us, because ultimately we don't want the help. The problem with sin is that it draws us in and it draws us away from God. And there's two ways to look at this. There's the person who has never been born of God, who has never known love, that doesn't know what they're missing. But the reality is, is that even Christians are struggling with the same problem. Even Christians who have known the love of God are facing the same problem. They're still confronting sin in their lives and they're still having to run away from it. And it's so deceptive. Because they don't know, they know what they're missing. And I think it's even worse for the Christian who runs in their sin because they, they know the love of God and they're trying to fill something that they know that they've experienced. 
And they're trying to fill it with these other things, with the things that we make idols of, with success in their careers, and maybe even in some situations, in the worst situation, maybe even the abuse of substances. Because they're trying to replace the love of God that can't be replaced without God. If you've experienced the love of God, you know what I'm talking about. And most likely, you've experienced the very thing that I'm describing. Most likely, you've experienced running away from God's love because you've lied to yourself and said that you don't need help. First John 4.19 says that we know love because God first loved us. He made it possible for us to understand love in dying on the cross. It's a remarkable picture if we really think about the good news of the gospel. God, who is completely sufficient in himself and does not need his creation, decided first of all to create us, knowing that we would run away from him. And then, even in our disobedience, in our spiritual adultery, he didn't abandon us. But he made a way. He became the flesh. He died on a cross, a sin that he doesn't deserve, so that he could pay on our behalf the debt that we owe. He loved us so much even though he didn't need us, even though we disobeyed him, even though we ran away. He wanted us to know what love was, and he demonstrated it for us over and over and over again. I've said so many times, this Bible is a love letter. Every page written in here, every inspired word from God is a love letter from him to you. Not just the account of the wicked things that man has done, not just an account of the depravity of man, not just an account of the spiritual adultery of man, But over and over again, God returns and he makes a way. His grace is abundant because his love is abundant and he defines love for us. If we're really going to understand the Bible, if we're really going to understand this great commandment this morning, we have to have this clear picture of ourselves. We are not capable of loving God on our own. We have to confront how much God loves us, which means confronting everything we've done to run away from Him. Yes, this commandment is to love God, but to do that, we must first know God.
I mentioned the second side of this fence was not just Christians who have found themselves in a bad way, but the second side of this fence is also those who have never known God at all. It is our impetus and our motivation for missions. It's the reason why we send people out from the church to bring the good news into the world so that they can experience God's love for themselves. But that isn't good enough. We have to look at home first. And I I know that this is maybe more personally convicting for me because every day when I go home, I have a 18-month-old and a seven-month-old, and both of them are depraved, completely wretched sinners who do not know God's love. They don't even know what they're missing. Moses, through God's inspiration, writes this plan to the nation of Israel as they are about to leave his leadership that children will seek God because they will see the love that their parents have for God. They will come to know God because they see the love that their parents have for God. They will seek after understanding this love, not the crazy Pinterest. um, I think you all know what I'm talking about. But they'll seek to know true love. And they'll be able to understand it because they'll be able to experience the love of God which is available to every person. Christ's blood which was sufficient for every person. In recognizing this outstanding commandment, this incredible, incredibly difficult task, We have to surrender ourselves to God's love. We have to open ourselves to be able to experience this love so that we might be able to obey this, that we might be able to breathe after and to desire God for ourselves. Because just like we read about in the Bible, He doesn't go anywhere. He never abandons us. He doesn't forsake us, but He's waiting for us to turn to Him. God is love. He defines love for us. And before we can understand anything in this passage, we have to first understand the love that he shows us. And then, and only then, can we love the Lord your God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. Let's talk about loving God with all of our heart. The heart describes the passions and the emotions and the, the, the desires that we have. The priorities that we set out before us. Last week we talked about the potential for idols in our Western culture. Things that deceive us. Let's talk about that word priorities really fast. Isn't it a funny word to say that I have a list of priorities and God's at the top? Even then, everything that comes after God is an idol. We can only have one priority. 
And that's God. To love God with all of our heart means that we have one priority. There's no room for a second and a third. All of our heart means it all belongs to God. Every desire that we have is for Him and because of Him. We must love God with all of our soul. Protecting our minds and our, the way that we think. Everything should be consumed by the pursuit and the desire to know God. Every component that makes up our inner being belongs to Him and should thirst for Him. And the third one, that we should love God with all of our might. All of our might. Because it doesn't come by naturally. I think the days of cultural Christianity are behind us. I don't think people go to church anymore because it's what you do. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but the reality is I believe the church is under attack. More so than it's ever been under attack. The Bible tells us to be prepared for persecution. The reality is, is persecution has been here and it's only going to get worse. One of the most remarkable things about the gospel, I don't know if you're familiar with the Watergate scandal during, under Reagan's administration, but there was a man during that who said that he came to believe the gospel because he was a part of the Watergate scandal. There were 12 men, and they couldn't keep up with a lie for more than 24 hours. But when we read the gospel, we find the accounts of the men who saw Jesus crucified and raised again. They were persecuted. They were stoned. They were crucified. And never once did they say that what they saw wasn't true. During the Watergate scandal, this particular man said that he came to believe the gospel because there was no way that a group of 12 powerful men could not keep a lie intact for 24 hours, but these fishermen were able to do it for the rest of their lives under more extreme persecution than they faced. The truth is, I think that the church is under attack and the reality of that means for us that we are still to obey this commandment, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our minds, and with all of our might, which means that we cannot allow ourselves to become deceived, to think that the church isn't a priority. We're here because we love God. The love of God will keep us here. 
the love of God will send us out from here, regardless of whatever the consequences of that might be. But I think as persecution continues to increase, we'll see those who do not love God hide in their homes. Jesus called this the greatest commandment. While God was on earth in the flesh, teaching us himself, not through the inspiration of written word, but teaching directly. What a marvelous thing that is. When asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said it was this, to love God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. And it's still the greatest commandment today. I'm remarkably blessed as I think about singing this morning and singing last week and hearing children in the background singing. Well, Ellen made a Facebook post about it, but I was thinking the same thing last week. To hear those little voices singing that they want God, that they realize how marvelous and oh, how wonderful I want them to know God's love. I want them to understand it, and I want you to understand it. But we cannot do that if we do not confront sin. We cannot do that if we don't acknowledge what's happening in our own lives. We cannot do that if we don't recognize the idols that we've allowed to take place if we don't see the priorities that we've made for ourselves, and if we don't ask God to take them away from us. And it's not easy. Because we get to leave here this morning, and we get to go back into the world, and those priorities, the same way that they got there, they're going to get there again. There is no room for anything else in our lives. There is no room for anything else in our lives but the love of God. Our complete person, our complete inner self, our complete thoughts, our complete passions and desires must hinge around God. Anything else is idolatry. And I wish I had a better illustration for you this morning to explain, to illuminate, to describe how prevalent this is, not just, it's in everyone's life. As we think about the word might, and we think about how we should confront persecution as a church, the only way that we will be able to overcome it, that we pray for revival in our country, and we pray for people to come to know God, and the only way that it's going to happen is if the church comes alive with a desire to know and to love God.
I wish I had something more compelling. As I studied this passage this week, maybe you've noticed I'm a little emotional this morning. I've been wrecked by acknowledging my own idols. And I just want you to know that it's okay that we can be wrecked together. That we could experience God's love together. And I want to invite you to ask Him to remove all of these things. I want to invite you to pray the dangerous prayer that God would overturn your life to reveal to you the idols that exist, that you might be able to love Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the great love that you have shown for us for your faithfulness to us when we haven't been faithful to you. God, I pray where I failed to expound your word that you would continue to make it clear in our hearts. God, I pray that you would help your church to come alive, that you would create revival, that you would excite us in knowing the love that you have for us. And God, if there's anyone here this morning that's never understood your love, that's never came to a place of understanding the gospel in such a way that they see them being paid for, their sins being paid for by you, God, I pray that you would convict their heart. God, I pray that you would touch their heart, that you would help them to know the love that you have for them and that you would help us to draw together as a community that you would help us to desire you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray, because it's the sweetest name that I know. Amen.